0: Good morning again, I invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter thirteen, and we are in verse forty-two today. Um, there are some people that you could uh, spend a lot of time with and uh, hang out with that y- y- you just kind of you jive. You know what I mean? Uh, you enjoy being around each other, you have great conversations, you share similar interests, you don't get on each other's nerves, uh, and uh, just, just the conversation comes easy. Uh, maybe, maybe you spend time with them and the world doesn't seem like as dark a place it did before you spent time with them. But then there are other people. There are other people. Some people drive you crazy. There's some people that drain your batteries. There's some people that leave you feeling empty. They leave you feeling unsettled. They, they, they leave you feeling uh, upset, maybe even a little depressed. Have you heard of a, ever heard of a person being toxic? A toxic person? We hear the word toxic a lot these days. There are, there are toxic work environments. There are toxic relationships. She's so toxic. According to WebMD, reliable uh, medical diagnostic source, uh, a toxic person, a toxic person is anyone whose behavior adds negativity and upset to your life. That's a pretty broad definition, isn't it? Uh, some, some students might be thinking, you know, I think a teacher or two of mine might be a little, t- I, I, I don't feel very good about myself when I get those grades on my tests, some of us say, well, you know, government agencies, DMV, that's feel pretty toxic to me. The times that I've had to wait in line there only to get all the way to the front of the line and get a scowl and a frown and being told that I don't have the right paperwork that I need. This may or may not be surprising to you. People these days say the church is toxic. They say the message that the church is out there proclaiming is a toxic message. Is the gospel of Jesus toxic? What is it about this this good news that is toxic, that is so problematic? Could it be that the gospel actually is problematic, that it's not good news? Is it something that we should embrace wholeheartedly, or should we just keep it over there on the dark corner and only bring it out at the very last minute, and when we do, just bring it out in the most careful, most subtle way possible? Is the gospel toxic. Look at me with, uh, look, look, not, look with me at, not look at me, look with me at Acts chapter 13, verse 42. And we'll take a closer look of this gospel, what it is and the impact that it has. In verse 42, it says this. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath, if you were here with us last week, you heard Brandon share about Paul and Barnabas proclaiming the good news of Jesus in this synagogue in Pisidia, Antioch. And they're sharing from Israel's history how God brought about the Messiah and what the Messiah actually accomplished, the salvation of their souls. That's actually the first point here, the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's exactly what Paul wrote in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of this gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, this is where it's at. This is the solution that you have been looking for. Now, we talk about certain medications, certain pills, and we talk about them as being powerful, And we do that because they may be effective, right? It's the same reason we talk about motors or engines as being powerful, because they produce the results that we want. They'll they'll turn a turbine or a drivetrain or cause something else to move. They produce something, and so they are powerful. And the gospel operates in the same way, in a similar way at least. Humanity has a need that must be met. It has a problem that must be solved. And that is how it might get rid of this guilt that is incurred because of turning its back on its maker. In the simplest terms possible, Paul makes it clear in Romans 3, all have sinned and they all fall short of the glory of God. That means every single person, every single one of us that's ever lived fails to measure up, each one has missed the mark. They've offended and rejected the one who made them and who is actually responsible for, for keeping them breathing and in existence, keeping their molecules together at this very moment. They've offended him. They've walked away. They've gone their own way. And that comes with consequences. We don't like to talk about consequences, I don't like facing the consequences. But a perfect, all-powerful, all-just God can't ignore this offense. It has to be reckoned with. If it's not reckoned with, then God fundamentally has a departure from his own character. And that's why Paul writes in chapter, uh, three chapters later, the wages of sin is death. He writes in Ephesians 2, that's, that's the condition of every single human being's heart. They're, they're all, we're all spiritually dead. Whereas we were designed to know and to love and to enjoy this in, incredible being who created us. We're spiritually cut off and incapable of, of, of serving him, of pleasing him, of, of knowing him and actually enjoying him. And instead, we've exchanged him for for a cruel master, the Bible tells us. A cruel master, an ultimately abusive, oppressive, and and destructive master. We're following around after one who's bent on rebelling against God. One One who lies to us. One who convinces us that the very best thing for us is to to chart our own course, to go our own way. Convincing us that we need to go convince everyone else, you know what, you need to respect my my autonomy and my significance and and attribute value to me and even sovereignty to me. And that that's the highest possible good for me. Maybe you've heard of the backlash against the retail giant Target Past week or week or so, it's facing a lot of backlash over a merchandise that it is carrying, which is designed by a designer who also uh, it produces clothing that reflects Satanism. And one of the shirts that this this person designs is emblazoned with the words "Satan loves pronouns." The idea, of course, is that there there is a supernatural being that absolutely approves of who you say you are. Whatever it is that you want to say you are, yes, go do that. It doesn't matter what reality is. This is yours. And that person is Satan. That's what this designer is is saying. He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. And the Bible would say, sure. Sure. You can go your own way. You can go your own way. In fact, in one way or another, every single human being has gone their own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we've all gone our own way. We're all like sheep that have wandered away from the shepherd. Each one to his own way. Every single one of us has gone our own individual ways. Sure, we've all done it. So what's the problem? If everybody's doing it, what's the big deal? And Paul says, the problem is that results in something that you don't want. It results in death. In fact, Proverbs 14, 12 confirms it. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Does that sound good to you? doesn't sound good to me. Humanity has a serious problem. And that's why the gospel of Jesus is such good news because it is the power of God to correct that problem. It's the power of God for salvation. It's the perfect, and and the Bible makes clear, it's the only solution to our problem. Of course, there are a lot of other alternative solutions out there, a lot of other snake oil elixirs being bought and sold in our world. And so the individual who actually is enjoying this going your own way, well, they're actually pretty attractive. What are some of those solutions? Well, just be a good person. Oh, I can do that. Be a good person. Sure. Or, or donate to charity. Yeah, I could get, I get throw a few bucks their way. Or, or, or say a couple Hail Marys, and you can just go your merry way. Or how about just live your best life now and live your truth. You be you. Just get the most out of the time that you have left. Yeah, there's, there's some appeal there, isn't there? Some appeal. I get that. But Paul says there's only one way to fix the real problem. Only one real way to fix it. And he shared that with these people in Pisidia, Antioch. Look back at verse 38. It says this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that is through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is the message of the gospel that he's sharing here. So people had been thinking that they could be made right with God by their own ability to obey laws that God had put in place. And what's more to obey all these other extra laws that people had put on top of that to kind of hedge the fence there? They thought that if we just obey these, if we just keep these, then we are good. God in them are good as long as they can keep in step with God. You know, that's not all that different from the way a lot of people think these days. People live by all kinds of different explicit and probably more often than not implicit codes of ethics, don't they? They all have their own idea of what it means to be right, to be good. And some are, are created from the, the social groups that they, they're a part of or... or, or or other groups that that, that say, this is what you need to aspire to. And it could include something like, you know, when you're a young person in school, it could be, you know, getting good grades. Or maybe for some, it it does have to do with following a certain religious code of ethics. But, you know, it could also be something more like, you know, I don't want to contribute to the degradation of the environment. And so I'm going to drive this kind of car and I'm going to do this and that and give here. It could look like, you know what, don't be a person that upsets the apple cart. You just want everyone and their, all their individual canoes just to be riding smoothly down the stream together. Don't upset. Don't make waves. It could be, you know what, you need to be a person who positively affirms what everyone else thinks and what they say that they are. It could mean changing your profile picture on your social media to reflect whatever the flavor of the month is, whatever people are excited about or passionate about, the current initiative that everyone uh, wants to get on board with. And if you're not on board with it, boy, there must be something wrong with you. Like these Jewish people here, And also the non-Jewish God-fearers there. So many people evaluate themselves based upon whether or not they're meeting certain criteria. But here is Paul. And he's saying that Jesus does what no amount of measuring up to these other criteria could ever do. They can't accomplish what you need. Jesus accomplishes that, not them. Those who put their trust in Jesus, they have their sin, their guilt forgiven and removed. And that means that whatever offenses they have made that have separated them from the good relationship that they are supposed to have with their creator and that actually put them in a position to be judged by this creator, all of those offenses have been put to right. They've all been washed away. They've been forgiven and Jesus allows people to be freed from any type of punishment that would have been heading their way. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Powerful if it's true. Wow, that's powerful. Vitally, critically, crucially important if it is actually in line with reality. How would these people respond to Paul and Barnabas proclaiming this this news to them? Well, they, they responded well. They, they, they begged them. Paul, Barnabas, will you come back next week to synagogue next week? We want to hear more. And not only that, verse 30, 43 says, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of of God. These guys think they, they can't get away. They can't get a break. We just we just preached to you. I don't know for how long, but we preached to you. We spent time with you. And now we gotta go to lunch or we gotta go somewhere else. They won't, they're following them around town. So powerful is the attractional pull of this gospel message, so intriguing it is here. The people won't leave them alone. And they're following them around town. Did they actually believe the gospel? Were they genuinely trusting Jesus? Luke doesn't tell us that. But he does say that Paul and Barnabas started encouraging them, saying, you know what, continue in the grace of God. Continue in this. Even if there were some people who were actually believing in the gospel of Jesus at this point, Paul and Barnabas knew. They knew, just like we know. Words come cheap. They come cheap. Anyone could say that they believe." Anyone can make a profession of faith in Jesus. Maybe it's good for their career. But it's what happens next that sheds light on what really took place inside, if anything. It's about continuing on, isn't it? It's about persevering. It's about the decisions that you make and the changes of the motives of your heart that reveal whether or not God has begun to do a transforming work inside, right? I can take my car to a mechanic and I can pay the bill. He can say it's repaired, but, but the, the truth comes out when the rubber meets the road, right? <laughs> it's easy to impersonate a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Someone says, yeah, I'm a Christian. I raised my hand to accept Jesus. And in fact, I went down onto the field and I, I prayed with a person there at the stadium. But then as time goes on, their life begins to give evidence that nothing really happened. They didn't make the jump from the kingdom of darkness to basking in the light of the, of the kingdom of Christ. They're still, they're still in hot pursuit of those old desires. They're, they're going down that track as fast as they can away from Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. <sighs> there they go. Yeah, I'm a Christian. What? Acknowledge that God uniquely designed men and women in his image? What? Wait, wait, wait. Let sex be something that happens only within the confines and the context of marriage? What? Let no vile thing come before my eyes. Let no filthy or foolish or crude talk come from my mouth. You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) The Apostle John talked about that kind of Christian. kind that sticks around as long as their Christianity doesn't interfere with the way they want to live their life. And he writes in 1 John 2, 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. You, you see, there's a continuing on that needs to happen there, isn't there? That gives evidence as to whether or not someone actually does have genuine saving faith. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. He goes on in John 15: If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a as a branch. And dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. And someone says, wait a second. I'm not sure I like the way this Jesus character sounds here. This doesn't sound very loving to me. It sounds a little narrow-minded. I thought the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, was all about love and was all about inclusivity and affirmation. Not this my way or the highway. This Jesus sounds a little toxic to me. Well, I got news for you. You've got the wrong Jesus. You might have some imaginary Hollywood character or some apparition that some online influencer has dreamed up, but you don't have the true Jesus of the Bible. Because the real Jesus says things like, I make the way for you to be forgiven. Yeah, you need to be forgiven. And I made the way for you to be made right with God the Father. And I did that not just by warm hugs. I did that by my death. Real, physical, excruciating death. And I did that through my resurrection. My powerful resurrection. And you know what? You demonstrate that you're actually trusting in me. That you actually belong to me as you walk in step with me. Imperfectly? Yeah. Stumbling here or there? Sure. But it was coming back. And it was confessing your sin and turning from your sin and embracing the forgiveness that I have to offer. Is that the Jesus that you know? It's worthwhile to make sure Because faith in the right Jesus will produce the power of God for salvation. Faith in the wrong one will produce absolutely nothing of what you really need. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is also a sword. It's a sword. The gospel is a sword that divides. Look at what happens in verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Wow, that's huge turnout. Who could ask for more than that? But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And what's going on here? Why why are they all la-di-da one day, and then next week they're all upset? Paul, this is trash that you're schlepping here. It says that they're jealous. Why were they jealous? Were they, were they just upset that Paul and Barnabas are getting all this attention? That doesn't really make sense because they seem perfectly happy with Paul and Barnabas sharing with them the week before. What's going on here? I think the answer lies in the response that Paul and Barnabas give in verse 46. They speak out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and and judge for and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life behold we are turning to the gentiles for the lord has commanded us saying i have made you a light for the gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth what these jews were jealous of was wasn't paul and barnabas and the attention they were getting they were jealous that this good news is being offered freely to them, yes, okay, great, but it's also being freely offered to these next-door neighbors of ours, these non-Jewish Gentiles. It's kind of the same reaction you see in the book of Jonah, where God calls a man to go out and warn these non-Jewish people of Nineveh, who had been party to do, committing terrible atrocities to the Jewish people, and God says, "Go to them. Tell them that I'm going to bring judgment on them, uh, and and if they turn, then I'm going to forgive them." And Jonah throws a fit. Well, more than throws a fit, he he just downright runs away. <laughs> I would rather run away from God's commands and outright disobey him then share a message of forgiveness to those Gentile dogs. They're not the chosen people. They're not the circumcised. Jonah actually gets so upset that he, he, he says, I'd rather die than these people turn around and avoid God's punishment. No doubt in the minds of these Jews in Pisidia and Antioch was the objection, these Gentiles can't be offered salvation. They, they don't follow God's law like we follow God's law. Oh, so all they have to do is, is turn to Jesus, and all their sins are washed away. And they get a, j- a get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't think so. We might think that the good news of the gospel would unite, and it, and it can, and it does. But it also divides people, doesn't it? It divides people as it comes in contact with the sin that holds them captive. Here in Acts 13, it was the sin of self-righteous pride coming face-to-face with the gospel, and it blew the whole thing up. We're not going to buy into something that's going to give the impression that we need Jesus just as much as these guys need Jesus. no way. And in our world, the sin that makes the gospel divisive looks a little bit like, how dare you imply that who I say I am or what kind of lifestyle I choose to live or, or who I decide to love and how I decide to, lo- to love them is less than okay. This isn't good news you're peddling. This is poison. This is toxic. And that actually shouldn't be all that surprising to us. Why? Because Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. How can you say that, Jesus? Didn't the angels declare when you were born, glory to God in the highest and on earth? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Yes, they absolutely said that. But it's peace between those who trust in him and their maker that they were once separated from. Not necessarily peace between those who have been made right with their maker and those who are still enemies with him. No way. Between them is a fundamental conflict. What fellowship can light have with darkness, 2 Corinthians says? The answer is none. None. Sure, we can avoid talking about religion and we can hang out with people and do business with them. It's possible for two soldiers to share smoke even though they're on separate sides. But this divide here at Acts 13, it, it fell along racial lines, didn't it? It was the Jews and everyone else who wasn't a Jew. But Jesus said, this is going to happen. And you know what? You can expect it to happen on an even more intimate and painful level. Dividing families. Dividing sons and their fathers. And daughters and their mothers. Some of you experienced that some of you are experiencing that right now first john or john 3:13 says do not be surprised now first john 3:13 do not be surprised brother that the world hates you jesus said if the world hates you know that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you're not of the world but i chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you is this message of the gospel toxic some would say yes. At least you could be sure that it's going to be treated as toxic by some. And that's because people are still neck deep in their sin, going their own way, happily rejecting the one who made them. They take extreme offense to it. The message that there is a creator who is going to hold them accountable unless they turn from their sin, that's that's just offensive. You know what, it's more than offensive, it's extremist talk. Now some have said, well, okay, let's look at the gospel and let's see the message that we're actually proclaiming here. You could you strip it down. You could just say, you know what, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Probably have less of a problem. But include in there that God has the market on what is right and wrong, what is true and what is not then you better put up your dukes. The gospel is a sword that divides. It was certainly causing division here in Acts 13. When they came to the census, the Jews hated it. And at the same time, it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Jews hate it. The Gentiles are loving it, as many as were appointed, it says. Just just real quick, we've seen this many times in Scripture already. Here it is once again, the fact that people believing in Jesus can't take credit for believing in Jesus because God is doing something even before they trust in Jesus, calling them to himself. They're saying, Jesus, I put my trust in you. And he says, you know what, before you said that, I chose you, I appointed you. Many, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. If you and I are trusting in Jesus, we can't take credit for it. That may sound like, we, we could probably turn that around and make it sound like some type of prideful thing. You know, I've been chosen. What about you? But really, it should make us the humblest of all people. I don't deserve to be chosen. Why am I chosen? Why do I believe in Jesus? It must be. Only the grace of God, because I know who I am, and I know the course that I was going on. I should still be going down that course. If I had my druthers, I'd be going down that course. But God did something in my life. God makes the way for people to come back, to return to him. God is the one who appoints, Paul would say here. Is that hard to wrap your head around? It's absolutely hard to wrap your head around, but the Bible isn't shy about teaching it. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of God. As many as were pointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. To recap, the gospel, the power of God for salvation, it's also a sword that divides. Finally, the gospel is freedom for all who believe. We actually read that in Acts thirty. Uh, 1338 and 39, Paul told these people, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. People who exchange the old life of rebellion for the life that Jesus offers are freed. They're freed from the penalty of their sin. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! No longer do they have to fear the coming wrath, the coming punishment from the Creator that should justly punish them. Because you know what? Their sin has already been punished on Jesus. But not only that, they're freed from the need of of being liked by other people. People have been made right with God. They have all the affirmation. And all the love and all the significance and value they could ever ask for. We don't always realize it, but we need to realize it. We're able to say, if God is for us, who cares who's against us? This is amazing. We're freed from all that. They're also freed from worrying about the disapproval and the condemning voices of people around them. Because they've been made right with God, they can say with the psalmist confidently, the Lord's on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord's on my side. As my helper, I shall, take, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Yes, there are people who hate them. I'd look on, on them in triumph. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Powerful, respected, revered people. I don't need their respect. I don't need their their protection because I've got the Lord on my side. They don't need to be afraid of losing. They don't need to be afraid of losing face, losing popularity, losing friends, losing money, losing property, even losing time. They don't have to be afraid. And that's because they know That in Christ, they have stored up for them far more than they can ever have on this earth in eternity. Ephesians tells us that. And that's why Paul and Barnabas can respond the way they do here. Look at verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. And the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Wow. How do you like to be driven out? But they shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That dust shaking, that dust shaking there, it's actually something that Jesus prescribed for his disciples when they would be rejected. It's actually a sign of derision, which basically means, (laughs) God help you. May God have mercy on your souls. We're done with you people. The Jews actually did that when they left a a Gentile town, Gentile region. They're indicating, I don't even want to carry around with me the same dust that that you walked on. So when Paul and Barnabas, they shake their feet as they leave this town, they're essentially saying, you know what, you Jews? You are no better off. You're no better off than the Gentiles. You're full of self-righteous pride. You think you got it all figured out. You need Jesus. They were certainly just as lost as the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're free. They move on. Friends, to an unbelieving world, the gospel is toxic. They don't like it. They don't want it. They take extreme offense to it. If we're going to be witnesses that Christ, our King, calls us to be, we can be sure that there will be moments when we are not liked at all by people around us. It may mean we lose some friendships. It may mean that we miss out on some promotions, maybe even lose some jobs. may mean that, like for Paul and Barnabas, we're actually driven out from the places we grew up, the places we love, the places we live. Don't lose heart. In fact, be filled with joy because you know that you've been freed from the old life. You've been freed from the lies, freed from the shame, freed from the confusion and the, the body soul-destroying sinful ways, freed to know your, your maker and that you and your maker are good and the path that that leads you on is a path that's straight to an eternal stay in paradise with all of those who long for Christ's return and Christ's appearing. Amen? Yes, the gospel is the sword that divides. Some might say it's toxic. But it's also the power of God for salvation. And it gives freedom to all who believe. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this incredible hope that we have in him. People who do not deserve any hope. Who deserve nothing nothing less than the full pouring out of your justice against us for the wrongs that we have committed, Lord. Thank you for Jesus, the one who took our place, the one who went boldly and purposefully and sacrificed himself, Lord, as we celebrate those and are thankful for those who have died for our freedom. We thank you first for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of Jesus, the blood that was shed, the body that was broken. And Father, thank you that you have made a way, the only way for us to come to you. Thank you for opening our eyes. Lord, may we continue to trust you. Though people rise up and say all sorts of things about you and your people, may we boldly, confidently trust you. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.